What's going on, everybody? I am your host, Armand Lee, and thank you so very much for rocking with me for another episode of The Quarterly Report. We've got a really, really fun show this week. The NBA playoffs thus far have been amazing. The first round has been exceptional, and one of the biggest reasons, one of the biggest surprises of the playoffs thus far has been the Indiana Pacers-Cleveland Cavaliers series. So who better to turn to to talk about that series than my man, the man who covers the Pacers for the Indy star, Jay Michael. He's going to stop by. He's going to break down all the ins and outs of that series. Plus, I know if you're anything like me, you're super excited for Infinity War. You're listening on a Thursday. It opens in just hours. So I know you're excited with one exception. There's one person who probably doesn't share our excitement, and he needs to take a seat. I'll get to that later in the show. All that and so much more. But first, our number one story this week. First quarter. The postseason in any sport lends itself to surprises. But I feel like the NBA in particular, if you like chalk, NBA, the NBA is the, the, the sport that tends to uh, have the least number of surprises, shocking outcomes when it relates to their postseason. In the NBA, it's easy to predict the champion and it's easier to predict each series winner because there's such a large disparity, especially now that the comp, you know, with the conference being divided. Now, four or five series, they're, they're literally toss ups. And despite the fact that Cleveland, Indiana is a four or five series, and that has a lot of people uh, surprised, more times than not, I don't really count four or fives as like some type of big shock. Um, but this year, there have been several surprising outcomes in the NBA playoffs, and we're just through for one round, right? And maybe the biggest surprise, not necessarily the outcome, but just how dominant the series was. It was the only sweep, and it was New Orleans versus Portland. And shout out to Portland, man. I got some folk out there. You know, whenever you're the only team who gets swept, that's a hard pill to swallow. So, you know. I feel for you guys out there in the great Northwest. I'm sure it's raining uh, and it doesn't make it better, but I'm sorry for y'all. Y'all got some, some tough questions uh, to, to, to answer this off season, but we're going to focus on new Orleans because the Pelicans are one of the best stories, not just in the playoffs, but this entire year. And they too have some hard questions that they've got to answer this off season. And that relates 100% to DeMarcus Cousins. You know, when Boogie went down, you know, every, I mean, anytime a player has a significant injury, you feel for him. You know what I mean? DeMarcus Cousins is in a contract year. He was finally, I mean, he was playing very good basketball. His game was starting to round into form. He and Anthony Davis, they meshed. They worked well together. And he was on his way, right, to be in his first ever postseason. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a cloud that's hung over his head that he's never played a second in the playoffs, and now he still hasn't made played a second in the playoffs. And his team, the hard, another hard pill to swallow, is that the team seems to be better without him. You know, now once he went down, New Orleans, and we got to give Dale Dips credit. You know, you know, I like to be have a fair shop here. You know, I've been critical of Dale Dips in the past, and he deserved it. You know, he took Austin Rivers with a top 10 pick, Okay. He traded a first-round pick for Omer Sheik years back. And, you know, Solomon Hill's contract is still one of the more bizarre uh, contracts um, during that offseason of 2016. But, you know, you can rip a guy, but you got to give him credit when credit is due. And that Nikola Miritich trade, he traded a first round for Nico, and it's worked off perfectly. It's paid dividends for him. Nico is another tall 6'11 guy. He's versatile. He can stretch the floor. And the most important thing is he's active and he can move his feet on defense, something that DeMarcus Cousins can't. And Nico doesn't take shots away from Anthony Davis. And when you're looking at the Pelicans, the biggest issue is it's clear. It's always been clear in my eyes. Anthony Davis is significantly better than DeMarcus Cousins. So when people were trying to build it as the Twin Towers, no, 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 no. Anthony Davis is that biggest building in Dubai, and DeMarcus Cousins is a skyscraper. You feel me? Like, 
Anthony is significantly better than DeMarcus Cousins. And if you are trying to make them equals, that means you're taking shots, you're taking possessions away from a superior player. And that can't end up being a positive, a net positive for your organization. No matter how good DeMarcus Cousins is, and look, I've been critical of Bookie in the past, and I am still critical of him. There, there, There are things about his game that I just don't like, but he's gotten better at many of them. But no matter how well, no matter how much he improves, he's never going to be Anthony Davis. So you're basically taking away from something that's a positive for me. And now that you see it on full display in the postseason, and there are a lot of other factors that have, you know, played itself into New Orleans looking as dominant as they've looked thus far, right? Quote, unquote, playoff Rondo. This is something, a topic that I probably should get into another week. But we like to attribute, like, playoff fill-in-the-blank to all these players, and not all of them actually play better in the postseason. Rondo is one of the rare and odd cases where his numbers are so much better in the playoffs. I don't know. You talk about flipping a switch. He clearly has a switch. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know where it comes from, but Rondo plays so much better in the postseason, and you're seeing it now. Drew Holiday is healthy, right? He's confident. He's in a groove, and you're watching him play. A lot of people are not familiar with him. Drew Holiday is a talented guy. He's been through so much. And like I said, Nico Miritich allows the floor to be spaced in a way where Anthony Davis has so much work or so much space to work. And it's working. All the while, you've got Ant, uh, DeMarcus Cousins sitting on the bench as an unrestricted free agent this offseason. So what do you do if you're New Orleans? This is one of the more fascinating uh, think pieces, thought processes that I uh, have when it comes to the NBA, right? Because... The Pelicans are a young team. Even though they've got veteran players, Drew Holiday's been in the league for forever. Anthony Davis feels like he's been in the league forever. Nico Miritich. These are all guys in their 20s. This is a talented team with the core of those three, and then you add in Rondo and whatever he does, right? When he comes in the postseason, you know, you got that added bonus. So what do you do with DeMarcus Cousins? Because you're winning without him. You're playing a style of basketball that is more conducive to this new age, this new era of NBA play with one big who's versatile. Two big. You've got two 6'10", 6'11", guys on your team. One of them likes to shoot threes and is better at shooting them than DeMarcus Cousins. And he costs significantly less. So with the money you have spent on Cousins, you can, you can add pieces to your roster. And we're going to see what New Orleans is really about this upcoming series as they uh, lock in on the Golden State Warriors. But what do you do with DeMarcus Cousins? I'm reading a piece this this week, earlier this week, by Zach Lowe by, for ESPN. And, you know, he, he brought this to the attention. He was like, yo, the, the Pelicans, they're in an odd predicament. And it's a good problem to have, again, we live in a world where if you talk about trading a player, immediately people think that you think that they're trash. DeMarcus Cousins is a talented player, but it just, it, I'm not even going to say it's not working. It's not working. It works better without him, I should say, right? You can have this player who's very talented, and you can you can play well with him, but you play better without him. So all that money you have, you can allocate it to other areas that can improve your roster. It doesn't mean the Marcus Cousins is bad. It just means there's a better fit for New Orleans in the talent that they do have. Again, the Marcus Cousins is really good. Anthony Davis is so much better. So why, why, why even pretend to have this twin towers, this, 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 these offensive bigs who are equal when they're not close to being equal? Improve your other roster. Improve other areas. So in this article by Zach Lowe, he starts mentioning some potential moves for the Pelicans because he's saying, look, forget about how much better the team is without DeMarcus Cousins. DeMarcus Cousins is coming back from an Achilles injury, okay? An Achilles injury. The list of players who have bounced back from that is not long. 
And those guys are significantly smaller, right, than DeMarcus Cousins. DeMarcus Cousins is a big man. So to expect his game to come back 100% after this injury and next year at the start, that's a lot to ask. And I feel for him. I really do feel for Boogie because he was putting it together. And that's not to say that he's not going to be a good player when he returns. I just want to bank 20-some-odd million dollars for it. So one of the things that Zach Lowe, one of the trades, one of the moves he brought up was a potential DeMarcus Cousins to Washington, D.C. for the Wizards. If you're in D.C., you've heard Boogie to D.C. for God knows how many years. You've seen the hashtag. You've seen the tweets. You've seen people talk about it on the radio, the whole nine. D.C. wants DeMarcus Cousins. Obviously, there's a connection with John Wall. They're close. They've been close for years, right? John Wall has never had a dominant big man like DeMarcus Cousins in his career. Uh, it gives you some versatility. Theoretically, DeMarcus Cousins should be able to give the Wizards easy buckets, right? Easy baskets at the back. He's so big. He's so strong. He's so dominant in the post, right? The Wizards, when they fall in love with jump shots, and we're seeing, you know, the Wizards be hot from, from deep and with the jump shots this series against Toronto. They've played well. But the idea was, you know what, when the Jays aren't falling, when John's legs are tired or when Brad's legs are tired, well, you know what, you'll have a guy in the post who can get easy buckets, easy baskets to help the team, to help the, the Wizards and give them another high-end talented player. If you're in D.C. or in the area, you've heard DeMarcus Cousins' name as a as a, like the number one wish list for Wizards. Oh, man, can we get Boogie? Well, Zach Lowe brings up an interesting trade scenario where DeMarcus Cousins and Solomon Hill, right, because to make contracts work out, and Solomon Hill's contract will be up, I believe, next season after one more year. So you do have a bit of uh, cap flexibility moving forward. So... You get the Marcus Cousins, you get Solomon Hill, but you got to give up Otto Porter, you got to give up Kelly Oubre, and you got to give up Thomas Sadoransky. Now, if you watch the playoffs at all, it's clear Sadoransky, his time in D.C. is numbered. Scott Brooks just doesn't trust him, okay? Just doesn't trust the guy. And I can't see him staying here um, playing 11 minutes a game in a playoff series. Kelly Oubre, next year, he'll be a restricted free agent, and he's going to get money, and the Wizards don't have a lot of money. You know, if they don't make a move, they're over the cap. They can resign their own players. We know this, but they're already over the luxury tax, and it's worth questioning how much money Ted Leonsis is willing to spend on this franchise. And then we have the, the, the main attraction, right? Otto Porter. And ladies and gentlemen, this is a perfect segue to my second quarter. So hold this thought as we move on. To my second topic this week. Second it is quarter. a very interesting time to be a fan of the NBA. There's a, so much going on. There's like a, a generational shift. Like LeBron and the Dwayne Wade and the Carmelo Anthony era of basketball. You can see the young kids ready to, to take that torch. You know, LeBron is pretty much like he's an older statesman. So if you're my age, it's kind of crazy to think that, you know, LeBron and Wade and Chris Paul and those guys are are about to be moved out, phased out. And there's this new group of, like, mutants that are running the floor. Like, Ben Simmons is 6'10". He's one of the better point guards in the league. Giannis, he literally is a Greek freak. Kevin Durant is seven feet, who's one of the best shooters in the league, but is also a great rim protector. Porzingis, Embiid. Like, there's so many interesting things happening all at once in the NBA, but maybe the most interesting thing from a macro level is this divide that is happening kind of before our eyes. And maybe the poster child of this divide is one of the most unsuspecting people, players that you can imagine in it, Otto Porter. And this divide is entertainment versus production. And I want you guys to think about this as I kind of weave through this entire Otto Porter kind of uh, debate that wages on. And, and again, Otto has found himself through a lot of crazy situations, unsuspecting 
uh, predicaments and a contract that he benefited from. He finds himself kind of at the center of this, this war, right? This internal war between NBA fans, uh, analysis, players, the whole nine. And it all boils down, at least to me, entertainment versus production. But let's break it down, right? Because when we talk about Otto Porter, there is no doubt he is an extremely productive player. Put aside his contract for the time being, okay? Because we'll get back to that later, okay? But put aside the contract. Let's just focus on Otto, the basketball player. There is no doubt Otto is a very good basketball player, right? Forget about is he a max player, is he this, is he that. He's a very good basketball player because he's so productive. He's so efficient. I, I had this back and forth on Sunday with this guy on Twitter, and he was basically like talking about how hilarious it is that you would consider Otto Porter an all-NBA player this year. Now, granted, I said Otto Porter has a case for third-team all-NBA, and that the main reason he has a case is because Jimmy Butler missed so many games. But he was so ready to say Paul George, Paul George this, Paul George that. Paul George shot 40% from the floor this year. 40%. Now, Paul George is more fun to watch. Paul George is more athletic. Again, he's more entertaining. But this year, Paul George wasn't more productive than Otto Porter. And it got me thinking, right? Otto Porter, say he scores like 15 or so points per game. Let's say that. Otto Porter shoots like, what, 50, 53, 54%? 52% from the field, 44% from three. Otto's one of the, the what, top 10, I think top five in three-point shooting in the entire league. He turns the ball over just about one time or so, one, a little less than one and a half times a game. Like super efficient, super productive. But people criticize him. And I've gotten to thinking, I'm like, you know what? In the NBA, is this weird thing. If you're a 20-point-per-game scorer, like, you, you you have a certain amount of clout. We we view 20-point-per-game scores, like, as, a, as, a, as a, a testament of how big of a star you are, how good of a player you are is if you can hit this plateau of 20 points per game. If you can reach this rung, it's completely arbitrary, mind you, right? Otto can score 15 points a game and do it on 53% shooting, right, and turning the ball over less than a uh, turnover and a half a game, Okay. But he, he's viewed a certain way because he doesn't score 20 points. So I, I'm like, just do this mental exercise. You know what I'm saying? Imagine Otto scored 21 points. So he, he scored six more points, right? If we're saying Otto averages 15 points a game. Let's say he increased that by six points. So he's scoring 21 points a game. But he's scoring 21 points a game on nine extra shots. So he's a less efficient player, a less productive player, and... He's averaging another turnover and a half per game. So, essentially in 10 possessions, he scores six more points but turns the ball over one more time. Right? He's obviously a less productive player. There's no way you could break down him scoring six more points but taking nine more shots to do that. And then 10 extra possessions, right, to score that six more points, he's actually also turning the ball. He's doubling his turnover output as well. He's not nearly as effective, but he would be viewed as a better player. How absurd is that? Like, again, this is a mental exercise. Just think about that. You know, I, I, I always find it funny when you listen to certain uh, guys call games. Like this past weekend, um, game four of the Wizards Raptor series. And I'm not going to name any person because I actually respect this person. But they're like, man, you know, DeMar DeRozan, he's... He's unbelievable. How did he make this out? He, what a game by DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan scored 30-some-odd points, and he took 30 shots. You know? Now, this is a question that only you can answer. Do you think that's a good game? Here's another, again, mental exercise just to see where you guys stand on efficiency, right, on production. Would you rather a guy score, you know, 32 points? but he had to take 26 shots to get it or a guy who can score 19 points who does that on eight shots, you know, or nine shots. Would you rather the 30 point guy who can score 30 points a game, but he takes 
26 possessions. So there's so many extra possessions, just empty possessions to score that 32 points. Or a guy will get you 19 points on eight shots. Like what to you is the better game? I can't answer that for you. But the way you answer that completely, right, fills in the the the, the blanks. Like it fills in the, the picture on how you view someone like Otto. Because to me, I look at it as efficiency. How how productive can you be on a limited basis? Like how productive is each possession that you have the ball? How are you producing every single possession? Because I'm not one of these people who get caught up in just the quote unquote crunch time numbers. Because the possession in the second quarter is just as important as the possession in the fourth quarter. Two points is two points. So if you lose by if you lose by one point and one guy misses a shot with one second left in the fourth quarter, everybody or a lot of people will focus on that last possession. But if you in the second quarter had three straight possessions where you had a turnover, you took a dumb shot with 18 seconds in the shot clock where you could have moved the ball and passed it to the open teammate, those those two possessions, they count just as much in a one-point game. Right? That's at least how I view it. But again, ask yourself, what's more important to you? An increased points per game or an increased efficiency number? Like if Otto scored 21 points per game, would you be more happy with him? Even if he didn't start shooting like 50 or as opposed to being a 53% shooter, he was a 40, 44, 45% shooter. He turns the ball over one, one, a little less than a turnover and a half a game. But if he increased that to three, but he still scored that 21 points, would you be happy with that? You know, the NBA is weird. It's the only sport where someone, like, when I say efficiency, I can feel some of you all roll your eyes at that term, right? I can feel some of you guys being dismissive of production and certain buzzwords that exist in the NBA, like efficiency, analytics, possessions. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know some of you guys roll your eyes at that. But why? The NBA is the only sport that rejects in many ways specialist and i give you a case in point the nhl playoffs are going on right now and I, as someone who really just started picking up the nhl maybe a decade ago the nhl playoffs are super fun you know fyi just in case you guys want to check it out but ask anybody who knows the nhl how important someone who wins face-offs how important a player like that is it's a specialist jay beagle here in dc Really good at winning faceoffs, and that's an important quality. Is it? Is that mean that Jay Beagle is going to score fifty goals a game or a season? No, but he is really good at this one skill that is very important. And hockey players, hockey fans, people in the front office, they understand. Yo, that's an important trait to have. So yeah, it may not. Be, Jay Beagle's not Alex Ovechkin. You know what I'm saying? He's not Sidney Crosby, but he at what he does, he does it very well, and it's important. And that's not a problem to like, yo, at this particular, at this specific skill, you being efficient, you being a specialist at this one specific skill set, that's cool. We need that. In football, a deep threat, a receiver who's not going to run across the middle, he's not going to be a, a, he's not going to throw a fade route at the goal line for him, but he will bust open the, who will break the defense, right? Because he's so fast and he stretches the defense. Imagine being like, ah, nah, I don't want that. I want him to be able to get me more first downs. Or, ah, I don't, I don't really want a long touchdown bomb. I want more receptions for him. Imagine thinking like that. Remember Marion Barber? In his prime, he was amazing at short yardages and goal line situations. Now, he wasn't a great running back because he wasn't like Barry Sanders. He wasn't you know, Adrian Peterson just giving the ball and do everything. Nah, he wasn't that. But in third and one, third and two, or on the goal line, you could give him the ball. And in his prime, he always produced. That is the skill. And nobody was like, oh, Marion Barber, all he does is get touchdowns. Huh? Think about that. In baseball, we have setup men. And in the seventh and eighth inning, they just throw 100 miles an hour, just throw heat to get it to their closers. 
that's an incredibly valuable skill to eat two innings to get it to your guy who can seal the deal. No one says, oh man, all he does is he all he does is throw heat. <laughs> all he does is throw. I mean, some people do, and it's dumb because it's incredibly valuable. Yet when it comes to the NBA, you're like, man, this guy I know, he's super efficient. He scores, he's he scores three-pointers. He's one of the best shooters in the league. And now I hear people say, oh man, but he can't cross anybody over. I'm sorry. How many points do you get for dribbling? <laughs> how many points do you get for going behind the back? How many points do you get for doing a crossover? None. And people are like, oh, man, but you know what? He doesn't dunk. You get two points for a dunk more land, right? It's the same. And you get an extra point for being a three-point shooter. And there are not many players who are better at shooting threes than I do. So the, the whole idea of dismissing Otto's worth is crazy to me because he's efficient. Like that, to me, that makes no sense on its face. But then we get back to what I started this quarter with, right? Entertainment versus production. And I'm not trying to come across as this NBA elitist, this snobby stat guy, because I get it. Before I really invested myself into statistics, and into analytics, I was just like that too. I, I've talked about this in the past. I was all on PPG as a teenager in my early 20s. And I remember the moment I went to a, a, a fan site like, and they were, broke it down to me. And the dude, I don't even know if he was trying to sun me or not, but I took it as that, you know what I'm saying? He was like, man, I don't think you understand what we're talking about as it pertains to these certain analytics, these certain specific statistics, advanced stats. And I was still on the whole thing like, oh, man, he, he can't create his own shot. Oh, man, why? All he does is shoot. And looking back on it now, I laugh. But that's a prevailing thought as it, come, as it comes to not just fans, but watch, turn on the television. Look at the guys who actually analyze basketball. The majority of them feel this way, many of whom actually played the game. But ask yourself when it comes to entertainment versus production. How did you feel about Kawhi Leonard four years ago? Because I remember I was big on Kawhi. I wanted the Knicks to draft Kawhi, but, you know, he went a little bit ahead of us. That was the year we drafted Shump, mind you. I've been a big Kawhi fan since he came into the league. But I remember four or five years ago where people were telling me that Kawhi Leonard was a role player. Why? Because he didn't score 20 points. Because he, he was just efficient. You know what I'm saying? Because he wasn't exciting. There's a reason why they're, the majority of the people who watch, who are fans of basketball, the majority of NBA fans, I truly feel this way, will tell you that Kobe was a better player than Tim Duncan. Now, I can give you every single metric, any type of statistic, whatever data you want that will tell you it's not even close, but it's the other way around. Tim Duncan is significantly better than Kobe Bryant as an NBA player. But the majority of NBA fans and I feel majority of people who cover the game will tell you that Kobe was a better player than Tim Duncan. And the only reason that you would say that is because Kobe was more entertaining. And I'm not knocking that because ultimately, what is sports? We watch sports to be entertained. That is a very real thing. And again, I'm not the, 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 the stat snob who's going to turn my nose up because people say stuff like that. But that's real. People feel Kobe Bryant is greater than Tim Duncan. Why? Because Kobe Bryant was more fun to watch. It felt good to watch Kobe. And that's not me just talking out of my ass. We all know the Spurs are one of the greatest teams in the history of the NBA. But watch what, when, look at the statistics. Look at the ratings. When the Spurs go to the NBA Finals, unless they played LeBron, the ratings were trash. Because people weren't entertained by them. Tim Duncan is one of the greatest players of all time. Even if you think Kobe is greater than Timmy, no one thinks that Timmy isn't great. But nobody wanted to watch him play because he wasn't that entertaining. And people will hold that against you. Just like they will give you more credit if you are very fun to watch. We all love to watch Kobe. Even if you're not a Kobe fan, it was fun. He did stuff that you just couldn't explain because he was amazing. Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving is a perfect example of this. Kyrie Irving, I think, is one of the 
you know, he's a good, don't get me wrong, he's a really, really good basketball player. Very good basketball player. But I think he's a little bit overrated because he's so much fun. John Stockton is my favorite basketball, is one of my favorite basketball players of all time. He's probably, John Stockton's probably my top five player, favorite players of all time. But I think the majority of people will tell you that they'd rather watch, or that Kyrie Irving, they'd rather watch Kyrie Irving than John Stockton. And I get that because Kyrie Irving does stuff with the basketball that only video game, that you can only do in video games. And that is part of why people continue to overvalue someone like Kyrie, even though you see how good his team is without him. But we, we place a lot into entertainment, and I'm not even saying that's wrong. Most people will tell you that Kobe is better than Tim Duncan. Most NBA fans, four, five years ago, thought that Kawhi was just a role player. Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard is one of the top five players in this league. And here in D.C., I live right outside D.C. In this area, I actually think that Wizards fans would rather have someone like Andrew Wiggins than Otto Porter, even though Otto Porter is significantly better than Wiggins. Significantly better. But Andrew Wiggins scores 20 points per game. Why do we place that value on 20 points? I don't know. It's completely arbitrary, like I said, but it's real. So that's, that's the question. What do you put more emphasis? What do you value more? Production or entertainment? There is no wrong answer. It's just completely whatever it is that you value. Me personally, I'd rather have the efficiency. I'd rather have the production because I do enjoy watching entertainment, entertaining players. But as someone who is a fan of a team who doesn't win, as someone who is a fan of a team who has a bunch of players over the course of the years, who do things that are very exciting, right? But just couldn't win. I I get excited for winning now. You know, we all made a big fuss about Carmelo in Oklahoma City's big three. That's another thing. If you think Carmelo is part of Oklahoma City's big three, then, you know, we just view basketball different because I think Steven Adams is part of Oklahoma City's big three, not Melo. But again, entertainment versus production. Now, back to Otto specifically. If you're in D.C., I get why there's frustration when it comes to Otto. I do. Because the contract. The contract is huge. I don't think Otto Porter is a max player. But I don't think most players who are max players are technically max players. Otto is represented by David Falk. David Falk is one of the most shrewd, savvy agents in all of sports. And he knew Otto had the Wizards in a tough spot. You know, it's been said time and time again, but you guys got to understand the Wizards were over the cap last offseason. So if they didn't re-sign Otto, they couldn't have just re-signed or signed someone else with that money. That money was there for Otto and only Otto alone. So if they did not re-sign Otto, they wouldn't have anybody to replace him with. And yeah, a lot of you guys like Kelly Oubre. But in Kelly Oubre is another guy who's more exciting than Otto. So that explains a lot of why people are more are bigger fans than Ubre than they are of Otto. But Otto Porter is far better than Kelly Ubre. Kelly Ubre has been able to been successful as a six man, and that's been shaky a lot of times. He went through a two month plus stretch of just awful basketball. You know, so let's not act like you know Ubre is this perfect player where Otto has all these flaws. Otto is a flawed player. And I'm going to talk to Jay Michael a little bit later in the show. He's one of the guys who, before the contract, was like, look, the biggest thing, reason why I wouldn't resign Otto is because of his hip. And there are real questions about Otto's health as it pertains to his hip. But let's not make a mistake. You cannot like Otto Porter. You cannot like the contract. And I agree with most of you. I don't think Otto's, I think Otto's days in D.C. are numbered. I don't think Otto's going to be playing in a wizard uniform for that much longer. But there is no question that Otto was a significantly, a significant player in this league. He is a very good player in this league. And he is, if you base your team around his skill sets, you can be a successful team. But he is not the type of player that we traditionally view as a top player, a top talent, right? And it goes back to my overall point. What do you emphasize more? What do you value more? Entertainment 
or production. All right, guys, you heard the horn. That means we are headed to halftime. But I will put this up on the Twitter page because I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts. What do you value more, entertainment or production? You can tweet at the show. We're at Quarterly Show. Again, I'm going to put that poll up this Thursday. So you can give us your answer. We're at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. You can also email me your thoughts at quarterlyreport at gmail.com, quarterlyreport at gmail.com. And speaking of emails and tweets, every other week we do this segment on the show, which is called Stoppage Time. And Stoppage Time is an opportunity for me to hear directly from you. You guys can tweet or email me your questions, your thoughts, or anything that you want to talk about, whether it's sports, entertainment, music, you name it. And this week, we have an email from my guy Dre in Baltimore. So shout out to Baltimore. And he asked me, what did I think about Javante Davis this Saturday? And if do I think he's ready for a potential showdown with Lomachenko? Man, let me tell you guys something. If you guys missed this card on Saturday or Showtime, man, you missed an exciting night. It was three fights, two fights in it very quickly. And we'll get to Javante in a second. And then the last fight, I'm sure many of you all heard, Adrian Broner, Jesse Vargas, it was a draw in, in, in shenanigans, as you would expect with an Adrian Broner fight. He made a fool out of himself, an ass out of himself, as he usually does. But the problem when it comes to AB is he draws. People like to see his foolishness, and you know I'm I'm one of them. I enjoy I enjoy the entire card, but Broner he knows how to sell himself, and he delivered over eight hundred thousand. That 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 card peaked his fight peaked at over 800,000 on a Saturday night. They had a hockey playoffs, NBA playoffs, and a UFC card on Fox. Um, but Javante Tank was the first fighter on Saturday night, and he made quick work. I mean, he won, I want to say it was a third-round knockout. He dropped the fighter in the, was it the second with a body shot? Tank looked amazing. I'm, I give him credit, man, because, you know, the biggest night of his life thus far was when he was the undercard on Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor's pay-per-view last summer. And, you know, he didn't look impressive, and he was overweight. He had to drop his title. And as a young fighter, he's not just a young fighter. He's a young man. He's had a lot of success early on, and he didn't really deliver on the biggest stage of his life. And that was a humbling experience for him. But unlike a lot of fighters who get humbled, and then they kind of, you know, fall off, they plateau. Davis got back at work, got back at it, and he looked better than ever on Saturday night. I think he is an amazing fighter. He's so young. He's so gifted. He's a strong guy. I mean, again, he dropped the guy with a body shot. You know, that that's that says a lot. And then he knocked the guy out in the third round. But do I think he's ready for Lomachenko? Nah. I don't think he's ready for Lomachenko. Look, Javante has all the tools to be a fighter who could absolutely put Lomachenko in the blender and put him to the test. But right now, I need to see more fights like Saturday from Tank before I can say, yo, he's ready for Lomachenko. Lomachenko is a different animal, man. Lomachenko doesn't have the power that Javante does, but Lomachenko is so much faster. The footwork, it's just, Lomachenko is fighting on a whole other level. It's just not, there just aren't fighters who fight like him. And Tank has the, he has the gifts to really put Lomachenko, put him in a tough spot. But right now, he's not ready to properly utilize those gifts versus Lomachenko, who may be the best fighter in the world. So, Dre from Be More, appreciate you listening to the show. Appreciate your question. But it's time for halftime, ladies and gentlemen. And we talked about Adrian Broner a little bit earlier, actually in stoppage time. And we talked about his ridiculous comments over the past week. But it gives us another opportunity to see what led this man, Adrian Broder, to these foolish statements. It's another edition of when a fighter, an athlete, an actor, an entertainer runs completely out of f***s to give. Take a listen. Hello, Adrian. This is your central nervous system. It's a huge fight for you. And so let's stay composed. You currently have 1,000 left to give. You've heard Jesse. He says he thinks you're beatable, you're vulnerable. What's your response? 
This is a fake ass press conference. This is garbage. And I'm just ready to fight. I ain't worried about Jesse. And um, and if you like, uh, can I say that in Spanish? Uh, soy Adrian. Uh, ¿cómo te llamas? Uh, Jesse Bagel. Uh, punto. Sí. Adrian. Just the pre-fight press conference. We have to stay in control. We have 500 left. Pace yourself. What will a win Saturday night against a quality fighter like Jesse do for you in your career going I hope y'all give me credit. I hope y'all just throw it under the rug because I'm going to beat his ass. I hope y'all just get, give me the credit that I deserve. I, that's all I want. And I know all y'all against me. Him right here, Leonard Alabama against me. They, they, they with this bitch ass. Leonard a bitch ass. The two. First can, time, you, you don't disrespect me like that. Man, shut up. You ain't with me. You ain't with me. I'm you with, with Jesse. I'm with Mayweather Promotions. You with, oh, yeah. You ain't with me. And this I'm is, a real one. I'm and, a real one. And this isn't about me. You guys got to fight. Yeah, all right. Shut night. that soft ass shit up. And the best man Shut that soft, that's some soft ass shit. Shut that soft ass shit up. All that soft talking. I know you can do it, man. You got the, you got the. Let's shut that soft ass shit up, man. So, you ain't with me. Seriously, we're still in the press conference. Talking trash to your promoter? Ugh. We've got only 100 left, but you don't care, do you? Some boxing news for you now, and in a very exciting fight, Adrian Broner and Jesse Vargas fought to a majority decision draw Saturday night at the Barclays Center. Well, go on. This is what you wanted. You got zero left, do you? The early rounds, Vargas won the fight through a tremendous amount so more even punches. You hold, think on, I hold, beat on, him. hold on, hold on. But so then in the middle rounds, hold fight? on. Hold on, sir. But then so in the middle rounds, you right? turn things around. What turned the fight around and enabled you to connect with your left so often in those middle rounds? I was connecting with rights too. Was you watching? Did you, you got caught right? your ass up? Did you no, see? No, they're not. You want to answer the question? What changed things from the early rounds to those? I got warmed rounds? up. I got warmed up and I started putting hands on him. Point blank period. Were you a different fighter with Kevin Cunningham in your corner? Did things, the big changes that you had looked for, were you able to enact them? You're a different fighter with that different suit on. Did things change when you changed that old ass suit? Adrian Broner, Lord have mercy. This dude is a clown. It is a clown. All this happened in the last week. He fought on Saturday. The pre-fight press conference was on Thursday, I believe. And then obviously the stuff with him and Jim Gray was right after the fight. And the stuff I chose to use uh, for the show, that was like the silly stuff. He said some real, you know, disgusting things Saturday night after the fight. If you are a boxing fan, you already know. But the dude is a clown, man. And the thing that's so frustrating with Broner is he's got God-given ability. You know, he's got power. He's got speed. He's got no damn discipline. And the, and, the, and the thing that he he is struggling with is now he's known more for the outburst, right? The antics than he is for the skill. And at some point, he's just he going to be on like Love and Hip Hop or something. Because nobody's, be nobody's trying to see him fight anymore. This was the best fight he had in years, and it was a draw. Adrian Broner, man, like the dude. But you know what? He's still a draw. Like a draw in terms of attention because... He, his fight averaged over 800,000 views on Showtime going up against the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, and the UFC fight. <laughs> it's crazy. It makes no sense. But, you know, shout out to Jermail Charlo. Shout out to Javante Davis. Those guys showed up and showed out Saturday. Broner, he just made a fool out of himself. All right, guys, we're going to keep the show moving. Talking about boxing, one of my favorite people to talk boxing with personally is my next guest. But this time... We're going to focus solely on the NBA playoffs. My guest this week, Jay Michael from IndyStar.com. He is the Pacers insider for IndyStar.com and a good friend of the show. My guy, Jay Michael, joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Jay, what's going on, bro? Yeah, not much, man. Nah, I completely understand that. I completely understand that. But that's where I want to start with uh, the Pacers Cavaliers series, obviously. Um, I'm not one for predictions 
in terms of like, you know, games and broadcasting, you know, my expectations for how long a series will be. However, I did think heading into the series that Cleveland was in for a tough go of it versus Indy. Uh, but I couldn't imagine that it would be this tough, this tight tooth and nail. Um, so two questions for you. Number one, are you surprised at this series and how competitive it is? And what is it that you've seen now that you're really close to the team about what makes Indiana such a tough matchup for these Cavaliers? I'm not surprised at all. And, um, you know, before, you know, before I like comment on anybody, any team, any whatever, I make sure I've seen a complete body of evidence before making a determination that this team is good or that player is not as good as his numbers are or whatever, right? Um, when it comes to the Pacers, um, I looked at about, before I did my first game here, made one tweet about them to the people here in Indianapolis. I watched probably about the, uh, bits and parts of at least 40 games in some cases uh you know you know i'm talking about at least half to three quarters of some of the games to look at some of the things that they do that they did well that they didn't do so well and i went into this series saying to myself this is actually going to not be an easy out for cleveland and this idea that lebron's going to walk through the first round like he normally does and you know, he'll, he'll only have to play, you know, 25 minutes, 30 minutes right. a game tops because the game will be over. That's not going to happen this year. And I was pretty confident about that. I picked the Cavs coming into winning six. Right. Uh, with with the possibility it could go seven. But I think the Cavs win the series still. But I think, you know, look, the, the, the players on the Pacers won't be pleased to lose the series because they're going to say losing is losing. But they've made a significant bump in their play over last year what they were last year in the regular season how they performed last year in the playoffs compared to this this is light years difference and nate mcmillan in his defensive um you know he was a tough defensive guy when he was a player um he makes these he gets these guys to defend even a guy like bogdanovich who a lot of people don't see as a defender you know um he i think mcmillan's strategies have been pretty solid but the team is a they play really good help defense. And my biggest criticism when I was doing the Wizards for those years was that whenever they would have bad stretches, their team defense was terrible. Like if a guy botched the coverage, they wouldn't help each other. And here in right. Indiana, these guys help each other no matter what. Because if you don't, you're going you're gonna to incur Nate McMillan's wrath. And, I mean, you can't get anything past him. I just think he's – you know, it's a classic case of a coach putting his DNA or his his uh, his his image – trying to build the team in his image in terms of being defense first because they are really good defense. Hey, Cleveland's averaged 111 points a game this year in the regular season. The closest right. they've gotten to that is 104 in this series. Right. So right. the defense is – they're obviously doing something right. Once again, guys, I'm joined by – Good friend of the show, Jay Michael. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at this is Jay Michael. He is the Pacers insider for IndyStar.com. And we're going to get back to the Pacers in a second. But you mentioned the Wizards just now. And I talked about Otto Porter earlier in the show. Um, he's having a rough playoff series right now versus the Raptors. And his entire season has been kind of a a lightning rod. A, 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 he's a very polarizing player which makes no sense because he doesn't really stand out in any way outside of the basketball court. But um, I give you credit because before the contract was signed, you were like the only person I heard who questioned it, not from a production standpoint, but from the fact that, you know, Otto has a, a really, I don't want to say a really bad hip, but there are large concerns about the health of his hip. Um, But Overall, and I had this topic earlier about production versus entertainment. And Otto, he rubs a lot of people the wrong way. I get the contract. The contract, if you have an issue with the contract, I get that. But you know what? They had leverage. He's represented by David Falk, one of the most savvy cutthroat agents in all of sports. So as someone who has viewed Otto since he was drafted by the Wizards up until now, where do you fall on the spectrum of evaluating Otto? You know, because he's so polarizing. People either really, really love him or they really, really hate him. And I'm curious, what do you, how do you view Otto Porter? You know, the funny thing is where, you know, I could tell you where the Wizards fall on. They know he was just a decent player. Okay? Mm. Nobody in that organization thought he was a superstar player who was going to change the franchise. Right. The belief was that he was just a kind of a, you know, a utility guy. And yeah. 
they ended up having to pay $106 million to to keep him. So where I fall on Otto, I think he's replaceable. Right. Um, I think he's a good player. I think he can do some good things for you. Uh, the hip, the hip issue for me though is the biggest concern. I, I right. just, I, I, I could not get out of my mind, and all the discussion about Otto last year was that you know nobody and and you know I'm, I'm not gonna say no one, nobody that I had heard of. When I looked at and read all the analysis from nationally perspective, whatever, no one said a word about his hip. Yeah. And for me, that was the biggest concern. Is it all downhill from here because of the hip? Right. Is he gonna require surgery for the hip? Right. Um, is it going to be a thing that's going to cause him to miss games repeatedly? And you know what people would do? They'll go look at the, the basketball reference and say, well, he only missed one game last year or two games. Right, right. I was like, yeah, but there's about 15 games in there where he had to leave early and couldn't return because of the hip. Or games that he may play the entirety of the game, but he's completely affected by the hip. Yes. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and, then, yeah, and it's like, so that's actually a misleading number. So. Right. He, ha- he has issues staying in front of smaller guys. You know, every time, and I've heard several times, like an analyst on TV say, well, you got to love Otto Porter. He can guard one through four, and I just fall out of my chair. Like, what the hell are you watching? Otto has never been able to defend one through four. Right. Um, you can play him at the four offensively, defensively at the four against a true four. That's going to be a problem. Otto yeah. against a fast point guard against Kyrie Irving? Are you kidding me? So, um, yeah. so let's get serious. So I think he's a, a replaceable, a good player. Uh, in spots, a replaceable player, but there are going to be times on mine when we see him do really good things and say, wow, look at Otto, and then we might have two or three games where we even forget he's on the court. Yeah, you know what you have to do? You know what they had to do? I've said this a many times. I'm a big fan of trading a year early if I have to. Right. Um, if you knew that was coming up, um, when you made that deal for Boyan and you didn't want to pay Otto that kind of money, you should try to move him there. Um, yeah. I'm I'm a big fan of that. Um, you know, the fan base would probably be upset for doing that, but right now they would be saying, "Thank you, lucky, lucky stars, you made that deal." Um, the other thing is, you know, when he made that deal, when he finally came to terms with the Wizards, you know, I was talking to some some agent uh, friends of mine, and we were having a discussion about, you know, the contract process, and they said, "You know what that contract tells me that he got from Brooklyn with all of those conditions in it that that the Wizards had to match. He doesn't want them to match it." Yeah. So yeah. he doesn't want to be there. So I think you also have that going for you because Otto's a quiet guy. You're never going to hear Otto make any noise about anybody or anything. But, you know, this idea that uh, uh, Otto is, you know, look, he, he's a, he does a lot of good things for you. And I think he's, he's, a, he's a yes sir, no sir type of guy. He's not going to cause right. any drama. But I don't believe for one second that, he was completely content with being there because he got, you know, you, the way you talk here about Gortat being, feel like he's being picked on or singled out. I don't feel like he's been singled out and he's been kind of excluded sometimes by, yeah. by some of the higher ups on the team. So, you know, th- I think there's that element too that really gets talked about because really Otto's not going to say anything. So I think he's a great, I think he's a great guy. Uh, I think he can do some good things for you, but yeah, it's, you know, you, you almost have to ignore the $106 because that's really a product of the marketplace and the salary cap explosion that yeah. happened. Uh, and it's not really a function of that the, that the team or any other team thinks X, Y, or Z player is worth $100 million. I mean, the way the salary cap went, you really didn't have a choice. And right. that's because the players declined the smoothing when it came yeah. to the money being infused into the system. So as a result – you had a handful of players who got ridiculous contracts you'll probably never see anytime soon. Once again, guys, I'm joined by my guy, Jay Michael. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. He's at ThisIsJMichael. He's a really, really dope follow, man. He breaks down X's and O's, takes you inside of games, gives you great insight. I couldn't recommend his page more. Um, really dope follow. He is the Pacers insider for NBStar.com. And, Jay, this is going to be my last question to you. We're going back to the Pacers and a guy who came in the same year as Otto, part of the same class. Obviously, I'm talking about Victor Oladipo. Um, you know, you've got ties in Orlando, so you're you're familiar with his start in the league. Uh, he went to Dematha, and you've got ties here, obviously. And now, you know, you're seeing him uh, and covering him firsthand in Indiana. Um, what is it that you've seen, kind of from a distance, following his career thus far? And to now up close and personal, what is it that you've seen um, from Victor that made you know this this turnaround, his career 
has done a complete 180 to now he's looked upon as one of the best players in the league. What is it that you've seen from Victor that was part of this reclamation project? Well, from a distance, like you could tell, like in Orlando, Orlando had no, no plan, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, all you have to do is look at that roster that they've constructed in Orlando. Right. Remember, they bought in Serge Ibaka, and right. they had Biombo and Vucevic. Yeah. Like, what the hell are y'all doing? Right. And, and then they said going into the season. So my, my reason was, well, clearly they're going to be making a deal because nope, we're going to go right into the season with these guys. Oh boy! So you know that's yeah. that's a completely and, and Aaron Gordon. So you have all of these guys who do similar things and like no time for them. And then right. you have Oladipo who they tried to make a point guard. Yeah. So hold on. Yeah. You had Alfred Payton as your point guard, who's not really a shooter. Yeah. So you're gonna make a non-shooting point guard your shooter. It make the guy who's more of a scorer in Oladipo the ball handler, which made no sense. So right. I think that's a perfect example of being in the right, being in the wrong system in the wrong situation. So. I think Orlando completely misused him, uh, couldn't figure out what to do with him. Then you go to Oklahoma City, and, you know, he played with Westbrook. You know what I feel about that. You know, a guy like Oladipo, come on, man, a guy like Oladipo could never thrive next to a right. Russell Westbrook. It just can't. Right. It's just all there is to it. So, um, but I just think coming here, I think the biggest difference that I see in him, he's, his confidence level. Um, I mean, there have been games this regular season where I saw him not shoot the ball well all game and just walk it down the floor and pull up for a three to win the game. Like yeah, big shot. Big shot. Yeah. yeah. Just, I mean, just, I mean, that was the biggest thing. Like, he just seemed to not care and have that unconsciousness that, you know what, I trust my shot. And teams are, teams kept giving him that shot because they have been giving him that shot throughout his career because the, the knock on him was, you know, he's a quick, fast, athletic dude, so you don't want to get too close because he's going to have to blow by and finish. But, you know, you, you, you sag, and you, you know, if you're in a pick and roll, the big drop coverage is plays of drop coverage and basically let older people take that shot. You can't do that anymore. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and he just seems to be so confident that even if he hasn't shot the ball well, that he has no hesitation of taking it and in, in, in being the guy that missed the shot to, to, to win the game. And I, I just think that far more confident-looking player, um, yeah. and I think he's – than he's ever been. Once again, guys, that's my man, J. Michael, Pacers insider for IndyStar.com. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. Really dope follow. He's at this is J. Michael, breaking down the Cavaliers and Pacers series, which is going to a game six. So, you know, we'll see how it ends. But it's been a fun series thus far. Jay, thank you for making time for me this week on the quarterly report. All right, Amon. Anytime, man. All right. So, guys, we are three quarters down with one quarter left. We're going to finish up strong with maybe the biggest thing that's going to happen this weekend in the country. It's our fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. The NBA playoffs have dominated my life for the last two weeks. I'm talking about my daughter and I watching the games before she has to go to sleep. You know what I mean? I'm staying up. I feel like I'm I'm in my early 20s again. Like I'm staying up to watch inside the NBA, not like the rerun. You know what I mean? If you're, if you're a basketball head, you know what it is to wake up in the morning, turn on the TV, and see an episode of Charmed on because you were watching inside the NBA late the night before. But like basketball has dominated my life. But there's one thing, one thing that's happening this weekend that I absolutely will make time for. And of course, that's Infinity War. You know, the Marvel Studios new uh, movie that has essentially every single character that's ever existed in their cinematic universe. Uh, I've avoided the spoilers. They're out there for those of you who have no patience and need to know, you know what I'm saying? But I'm excited. You know what I mean? Like Marvel has built up momentum. Their most recent movies, in my opinion, have been their best movies. Uh, it feels like Black Panther just came out and now they're going to even, they're going to piggyback that with this movie. And so far, you know, I've heard nothing but great reviews. However, there's one person, there's one person who, you know, who's feeling himself and has, uh, had something to get off his chest, right? Less than positive remarks about Marvel and, you know, the Avengers Infinity, Infinity War. And, of course, I'm talking about James Cameron, uh, director of some classic movies like Terminator, uh, Terminator 2. Those are really the classics that I consider. But, you know, a lot of people like Titanic. Uh, side note, I've never seen that movie. I know I knew what happened before. I, uh, when the first time I saw the previews, I didn't need to know. 
I didn't need to go see the movie. I've never seen Titanic, but a lot of you have. He's also did he also did Avatar. Um, so you know the guy is, is a successful filmmaker, but he says that he is sick and tired, and he's ready for you know the comic fatigue, the Marvel fatigue to hit the audiences. And to you, James Cameron, I got five words, bro. Man, sit your ass down. Sit your ass down, Joe. Sit your ass all the way down, bruh. Like, just if it's not your cup of tea, cool. Nobody cares, though. I can't stand Bamas who do that. I can't stand Bamas who do that. And it happens all the time. If you are listening to me, I got, again, I've talked about hockey and how I kind of was introduced to hockey, you know, as an early 20-year-old based off of Alex Ovechkin. You know, and I may not watch hockey every single night, but I appreciate it. And there are, night, there are times, especially during the playoffs, if there's not a game on in the NBA or it's a game I don't want to watch, I'll turn on hockey. But, you know, hockey fans, they're passionate. They're real passionate bunts, but sometimes they jump out there when it comes to the NBA. And they always want to talk about the NBA product as if it's, a, as if it's some type of competition. Look, you don't have to be a genius to understand Hockey fans and basketball fans, they're not necessarily the same group of people. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you enjoy your sport, enjoy your sport. Don't start talking trash about the NBA. Football fans do that too. Where people just go out of their way to talk mess about basketball. And I'm like, bro, that's some hating ass stuff. If you are so happy with whatever it is that you're doing, do that. And don't worry about what's making me and everybody else happy. James Cameron, you want to make 10 different Avatar movies? Do you, bro. Do you. Nobody gives a damn about that. Okay? Because right now, what we focusing on is Avengers Infinity War. Don't come over here trying to dampen everybody's parade, man. Sit your ass down. That's so lame. I hate Bamas who do that. I hate Bamas who do that. James, and, and again, when you start to dissect what he's talking about, he's like, you know, there are more stories to tell. People... Are fatigued. I hope I can't wait. I hope people get fatigued because there's more stories to tell about superheroes. How many Terminator movies have there been? Okay, I'm 35 years old. I've been I've been hearing about John Connor since I was like five. You you doing the next Terminator movie? They should have stopped at the second one. How many Terminator movies have there been now? You're working on. I kid you not, this is not me being hyperbolic. James Cameron is currently working on four Avatar films. Four. Avatar came out like eight years ago. Nobody's trying to watch that mess. Bro, look, no disrespect. If you are a fan of Avatar, I don't think there's that many of you out there, but whatever, if you are, Avatar was revolutionary, you know, when it came out. And it was revolutionary because it reminded everybody how much of an asshole we look like with these damn 3D glasses. You pay an extra $15 for a movie, you know what I'm saying, that is not even doing anything. You look stupid when you get out in your eyes. You know what I'm saying? God knows what it does to your eyes. We can thank James Cameron for that. How on earth are you going to be doing the 19th installment of a Terminator movie and do four, four Avatar movies and then complain about there needs to be more stories to tell? What are you talking about? Like, clearly he's in his feelings because Black Panther outgrossed Titanic recently, you know? And, you know, look, anybody at the highest level of any profession, they're gonna, there's going to be ego, there's going to be competitiveness, and there's going to be drive. So whether he felt this way or not, I don't mind, you know? It, look, if, you, if you're listening to my voice right now and you have superhero fatigue that's cool i understand it they've been doing these damn movies for forever marvel has for 10 years but even before marvel right the spider-man movie started off in 2000 you know my favorite batman movie happened in like 1988 89 so they've been making superhero movies superman christopher reeve god bless the dead in the 70s they've been making superhero movies for forever so why now are you feeling some type of way about Marvel because everybody seems to be excited. Everybody but you. Because you're making movies about blue little creatures. Like, what are you talking about, man? 
James Cameron. And it's always got to be somebody. You see everybody happy and then just bring some mess out. You know what I'm saying? To kind of put a damper on situations. Oh, lame ass, man. You're making four Avatar movies at the same time talking about there needs to be more stories to tell. Sit your ass down. You know what I'm saying? Sit down. Shut up. Go somewhere and make another Terminator movie. Actually, please don't. Because you've ruined one of the greatest movies of all time, Terminator 2. Because you just didn't know when to stop. And I know if y'all like me, y'all ready. Y'all can't wait. They talk about big time heroes die, big time characters die. You know what I'm saying? I have no idea how they're going to string all this together. And if you're like me, if you're listening to this podcast on Thursday, then I know you got your tickets or you, you're getting ready to set your weekend or maybe you're going to listen, look at the movie tonight. Let me know what you think of the movie. You know what I'm saying? Tweet at me at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Email me at QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on Infinity War. If you liked it, if it lived up to the hype, if it fell a little bit short, or if you're like me and want James Cameron to sit his ass down. You know, I want to hear everything that you have to say, whether it's good, bad, or anything in between, because I'm ready. I'm ready for Infinity War this weekend. I hope you were ready for next week's show and enjoy this week's show. I once again want to thank my guest this week, Jay Michael, uh, insider for the Pacers for IndyStar.com. The Pacers have a great series on their hands after LeBron James' big game winner. We're going to see what those young boys are made of in Indy with uh, see if they can tie things up and force a game seven. It's been a fun show this week. I hope you enjoyed it. And you know we'll be back here next week, next Thursday, for another episode of The Quarterly Report. See you then.